It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter if you want to get in touch with us that way. You certainly can. Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our podcasts, including Big Blue Kickoff, Giants Rewind, and the Giants Huddle Podcast on Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all of our favorite podcast platforms today we got schmelk and meadow on the show lance good to hear from you my friend how you doing i'm doing very well how about yourself we're doing okay obviously we're kind of getting into a slow period here lance with the nfl we haven't had any of these coach hirings yet a couple of defensive coordinators uh former seahawk defensive coordinators actually looking like they're getting jobs perhaps gus bradley in oakland and Dan Quinn in Dallas, but otherwise, not a whole lot going on. So I figured, Lance, now is a good time to kind of continue our season in review before we get on to draft talk and all that other stuff. And we haven't really had an in-depth conversation about the 2020 rookie class in general. We've obviously touched on these players throughout the year. So I thought this would be kind of a good time to talk about that group. And Lance, no better place to start than the two guys on the offensive line. The first round pick, Andrew Thomas. Then obviously you get to fifth round pick, Shane Lemieux. And I guess we could talk about these guys together since they play the same position. Jeff and I talked a lot about the Giants' offensive line on Monday. So people kind of know my opinion about it, so I'll just give my real quick take, and then I'll let you take it from there, and we could talk about it a little bit. To me, I feel pretty good that Andrew Thomas is a starting caliber NFL left tackle at this point, given his performance the second half of the year. Do I know how good he's going to be? I do not. I think he has a lot of room to improve. Shane Lemieux I have more questions about. Uh, To me, at least, I don't think he showed enough for me to just hand him the starting job next year and say, kid, go get it. We trust you. I wouldn't mind seeing him compete, whether that's with Will Hernandez or with another veteran, things of that nature. What I like about Lemieux is that he's smart, he's tough, and I think he has the right mentality to play the position. But some of the one-on-one pass protection stuff worries me a little bit. Um, and Andrew Thomas has all the tools you want to see. So those are my take on those two guys in terms of what I thought of their rookie years. I can give some of the particular stats on their on their pressures and things like that if fans want them. But that's how I look at those two guys, Lance, in terms of moving forward. Well, just to give you an idea, Andrew Thomas played just over 96% of the snaps. So, I mean, he was pretty much out there, even though they had a little bit of a rotation and he had an internal punishment that cost him a start. For the most part, I mean, he was out there. So you've got a nice sample size to look at over the course of his rookie year. Shane Lemieux was more of a rotational guy, did not play the whole season. He was just under 50% in terms of the offensive snaps. As far as the outlook, I would agree with you. I agree with your assessment on Andrew Thomas. I think his second half of the season was much more consistent and impressive than the first half of the season, and that's understandable. Listen, he didn't have a conventional offseason. He was very much tested right out of the gates. We talked about the caliber of the defenses that he was going to be playing, the level of pass rushers that he was going to go up against. And I think it was sort of a baptism by fire. But I think as the season progressed, he got more and more comfortable, things steadied off. So you like the results, you like the trajectory in the second half of the season. But like anything else, you want to see him go out there and do it consistently from start to finish. That's why I think the start of next year, the start of the 2021 campaign, regardless of how this offseason plays out and whether they have spring workouts or not, I think is important because you want to know that the first half of this past season was just the nature of transitioning from college to the pros getting a feel for a new offense and so forth, as opposed to, well, you know, maybe it takes him two to three games to really get into rhythm every single year. So that's number one. As far as Lemieux is concerned, I would agree with you as well. I I think that there were positive flashes. You love the toughness. You love the attitude. But I don't know if there is enough right now to say, hey, the Giants have one of their starting guards locked up with Shane Lemieux. That's why I'm going to go back to something I emphasized, John, on yesterday's program when Paul and I were on. 
and it got into the conversation about Kevin Zeitler. And from a financial perspective, if the Giants want to retain some of the defensive players, do they have to consider parting ways with him? And I said, well, wait a minute. You know, before you start to tally up the money, You've got to look at what you have at the guard spot. And Will Hernandez did not play a lot of snaps as the season progressed and as he returned from COVID. So, you know, he becomes a question mark in terms of what this coaching staff thinks of him. Then we talked about Lemieux still has some rawness to him. So Zeidler is still your staple at guard. I would be in no hurry to get rid of the staple at that position when the other two guards are young and the other guy is somebody that is at the point where he's had a number of seasons under his belt, but you just wonder how the coaching staff is looking at him. I would be, once again, in no rush to part ways with a guy like Zeitler as a result of that. Yeah, I would like to see a veteran, at least one, be at that guard position to be a stabilizing force, whether it's left or right, competing with those two guys, Zeitler, somebody else, whatever. I'm not willing to just say, all right, here are our two young guys, you guys go get it. You need to have somebody in there that I think, I agree, Lance, that has a larger body of work that you can be very confident in. What well, John, things- especially not to cut you off, yeah, Nick Gates, remember, just finished his first season as a center, too. Yep. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. more of a reason why you want experience in one of the guard spots. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a theme when we get to the Giants' third-round pick, too, which we could talk about. And I guess we can get there right now. But, Lance, very quickly on Andrew Thomas, just to give people an idea, he allowed 60 pressures this year, 39 of them came in the first seven games. Only 21 came in the final nine. So I think that shows the progress that he made from a pass protection standpoint. So let's get to the third offensive lineman. I didn't put him with Lemieux and Thomas because, you know, he wasn't really a starter the whole year, much like Lemieux was the second half of the year and Thomas was throughout the entire year. And that's Matt Parrott, who got a lot of snaps over the course of the year, kind of rotating in with Cam Fleming at right tackle. He got up to 169 snaps late in the year. He had an ankle injury. He was also on the COVID-19 list for a week, so he didn't play quite as much Lance late in the year. I think he played a little bit better earlier in the year, actually. Now, it's tough to tell when you're only playing 10 to 12 snaps a game to really get a feel for how well somebody's playing based on the play call. It's just a very small sample size. So I think what we saw from Parrott is kind of what we saw from what we thought about him before the year, where he was going to be a developmental guy. You like his tools. Still has a lot of work to do getting stronger and becoming a stronger player, but also honing his craft and his technique. So much like with the guards to me, Lance, that's a spot where I want to have some type of veteran there competing with him, whether that's you bring back Cam Fleming, whether that you bring back Nate Solder, or you bring back somebody else. I I need to have Matt Parrott show up this offseason in 2021 saying, all right, I need to beat out this guy. And if he beats out that guy, great. That's the ideal scenario. That's what you want. But I don't think you can count on him being ready without having somebody else there that you're confident in to put in to start if you have to. It's very similar to our assessment to the guard spot. You want at least one veteran there. So I don't see why tackle should be any different because, once again, even though Andrew Thomas is heading in the right direction based on his second half, you still want to know that there's a veteran on the opposite side, especially if, once again, Zeitler's status could very well be up in the air. So if you go with a younger guard, do you want then a young tackle next to a young guard, next to a center entering year number two? Okay, that's a lot of youth and inexperience all next to one another. So that would be more of a reason why I think you got to be careful in, in terms of what you do at that tackle spot. And also depth-wise, I thought... Matt Parrott, the game that he filled in for Andrew Thomas when Thomas didn't start, I thought he handled himself very nicely at the left tackle spot. And then I think we've seen some flashes in terms of his rotating in at the right tackle spot. But I don't think there's enough of a sample size to say you go into 2021 and you know, hey, Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott are two tackles at the starting spots. And there's no question about it. I think you want him more of being that swing guy where you can continue to rotate him in, continue to develop him, and continue to show that he's able to make the improvements in the areas that you pointed out to him over the course of this season. So that's why a Cam Fleming, a Nate Solder, just like I talked about Kevin Zeitler, the presence of an established veteran is important because I think the Giants going into 2021, once again, my personal opinion, 
I think they'd feel much better if they say, hey, our second-year player is more of our rotational guy as opposed to the guy that we're anticipating he's going to play every single snap every single game. Right. Now, if he shows up in the offseason and wins that job, great. That's great. fantastic. Yeah, exactly. But, yes, I agree. I think that has to be an option that, that's in your back pocket. All right, let's go over to Xavier McKinney-Lance, the Giants' second-round pick. A really small sample size for him. But the last two games, he did play a lot. Uh, 82 snaps at free safety over the course of the year, 84 snaps in the nickel kind of slot corner spot, and 47 in the box. So we talked about when the Giants drafted him, how he was versatile and he could do everything he wanted out of the safety position. Well, despite the fact he didn't show up until after the bye, and he played you know, 131 snaps from week 14 through 16, and then he played um, a, another 80 in the final week. The Giants used him in different roles in different spots, and I think you have to be encouraged by it. Again, it's a small sample size, but I think you have to feel pretty good about the fact that he's going to be a good part of this rookie of this safety rotation next year and can be an effective NFL player for a long time. And I think based on what you just laid out, I would probably label him as the most intriguing player of the 2020 rookie class entering 2021 because, like you said, we got a glimpse in the latter part of the season, but we really have yet to see what his true potential is as the volume of snaps goes up. I think it's encouraging what he was able to do, and I also like the Giants' approach too, John. I don't think you could overlook that. When he was ready to go... They didn't just throw him in and say, hey, you know, we're going to have you play 60 to 70% of the snaps in a single game. Well, Lance, you know what? Real quick, I have numbers for you. In week 12, real quick, he played 26 snaps in his first two weeks. The next three weeks, he played 130. So he kind of went up to, you know, 40 snaps a week. And then he played 80 in that final week. So there was a pretty steady increase over the course of his final six games. Which I think was a great game plan. Yeah, I agree. We're talking about a significant injury where, you know, he didn't have much of the beginning of the season to get acclimated because he went from the end of training camp to having to have surgery. So you want him to have a few weeks to just get used to what it takes to get ready for a game. And I understand that he was slowly progressing in terms of his participation in practice, but I thought the way the Giants handled McKinney was a big part of why he was able to have some success in the latter part of the season. It wasn't as if they said, McKinney, you're our savior, and if we're going to get into the playoffs, we're going to need you to perform like a pro bowler, and that means that we're going to line you up as a starter, and there's not going to be any incubation period, okay, for the lack of a better term. So I was quite pleased with how the Giants handled that, and that's why, once again, you like the early results, but... Once again, I want to hesitate in crowning an individual and saying, okay, well, he's going to be able to pick up exactly where he left off. Here's the good news for the Giants. The good news is between Peppers, Logan Ryan, and McKinney, I think Patrick Graham is saying to himself, I've got three guys that I could put at safety, and then I have three guys that I could also experiment a little bit near the line of scrimmage in the slot, And that at least feels good from his perspective, I'm sure, in saying no matter who we bring in, no matter what changes come to the defense, at least I feel like I've got a core that we could build off of where that could be the centerpiece and then everything else is a complementary component. That, I think, is probably the most encouraging sign in terms of what McKinney showed in the last few games of the season. Yeah, Lance, to me, those three guys, not to get off topic, but is the entire key to how they disguise things on defense. When you have three safeties that can do all three things you want a safety to do, play a deep zone, cover man-on-man, or play the line of scrimmage. And look, those three guys are better at certain roles than others are at other roles, and that's fine. But when you can trust those guys to do any of those three things and you line them up in different spots, that's how you can confuse offenses. And that's why they were so successful during the course of this season. I think a lot of confusion led to the defense's success. And that was pretty much without McKinney for the bulk of it. Now, all of a sudden, you bring in another player and, you know, the defense's are now going to, excuse me, the offenses are going to say to themselves, well, you know, McKinney, based on how he was utilized at Alabama, is a player that can handle the slot. He can handle deep. He can also be sent on a blitz. And you go back to how Nick Saban and company utilized him. He showed flashes in all those areas. And now I think the Giants say, okay, we got him comfortable Now, hopefully, we could branch him out even further in year number two. So, you know, all those things, once again, are big positives 
But I think, once again, he's still that player out of this entire rookie class. I include the offensive lineman because I know Shane Lemieux is also a good candidate, but who I'm probably most intrigued to see what do they utilize to really help him spread his wings out entering a full, what we hope is going to be a full season, assuming that he's fully healthy? Yeah, I agree. And I think he's a legit shot to be the best player in the class, too. Like, I don't think that's out of the question. And to the, your point, we haven't seen a ton of him yet. So I'm with you. I think most intriguing going into next year to answer a future Dan Salamone fact or fiction question. <laughs> because, you know, that one's coming at some point. I think I think you make a good point. All right, let's, let's put the foot on the accelerator here a little bit, Lance. Darnay Holmes played in 12 games this year. Missed week seven with a neck injury. Missed two games at the end of the year with a knee. Then he didn't play in week 16. Technically a coach's decision, but I imagine the knee probably had something to do with that too. Uh, 396 of his 460 snaps came as the team's nickel cornerback in the slot. So that's his spot. He's not one of these guys who are going to move around a ton. And I thought for the most part he comported himself pretty well. Now he wasn't asked to play a ton of man-to-man defense, which is really the most difficult thing you're going to ask a slot cornerback to do. Now he did that in college well, so I think he should be able to do it, but I still think we need to see that a little bit more. But I think you feel pretty good about, all right, next year we head into the year and Darnay Holmes is our nickel cornerback. I'm cool with that, and I think you feel pretty good that he'll do a nice job. Well, you're talking about probably one of the most experienced rookies coming out of this class, John, to your point, because when you look at snaps— Darnay Holmes got a lot of experience, a wealth of experience, I would say, over the course of this season. So that's a positive. You're not going into 2021, and you're not treating Darnay Holmes like a rookie. Right. Okay, McKinney has yet to graduate. Okay, McKinney's got some more coursework. Okay, he's got to complete. <laughs> Holmes, I think, certainly passed the majority of his classes. I think if there's one thing that if I'm Darnay Holmes, I'm looking to clean up. And I don't think this is necessarily a stunning development, John, but the penalties at the worst possible time came back to bite him, whether it be a holding penalty that gave the opposition a key first down. The Niners game, for example, is one that comes to mind where I believe it was a very lengthy third down, I want to say, and all of a sudden the Niners now have a free, fresh set of downs. So those are the things that I think come to light the – just mental mistakes at times at a key percentage or key component to the game. I have the penalty tally up just to give you an idea. Cam Fleming led all players with seven. By the way, these are accepted penalties, just to note that. Andrew Thomas was second with six, and then Darnay Holmes was tied for third with Daniel Jones and Kevin Zeitler at five apiece. So, you know, those are the types of things I think Darnay Holmes, if my biggest takeaway is from his rookie year, those Knowing when the time of the game is, knowing the down and distance, and realizing when to be aggressive, John, versus, okay, when do you feel as if you have a little bit more leeway and flexibility? Say, hey, I could give the guy some room. I could allow him to get the catch as long as I'm in a position to make the key tackle. Yeah, and you know that's a big thing they focus on defensively, too. They talked about it a lot early in the year, getting those defensive backs not to be too handsy. That yeah. was something they talked a lot about during training camp, and that's something I agree he has to work on. All right, let, let's go to the linebackers. Let's go to the two outside linebackers first, Lance. Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, uh, those are two guys that, to me, flash some athleticism and some ability. Uh, Coughlin specifically played a, a lot of snaps in back-to-back games end of the year. It was the Seattle and Cleveland games. And I think both guys have a role as edge players Now, I think the tricky thing is figuring out how and when to use them because they're both undersized a little bit. I see Coughlin as more of a pass rusher type. I see Cam Brown, frankly, more suited as kind of an off-ball linebacker that can run in space a little bit, stop to run cover a little bit. So I think not sure either one of those guys are going to develop into full-time players. Maybe Coughlin could become a quote-unquote full-time situational pass rusher. And Brown, depending on the scheme, could be used in certain spots. But I do think I see defined niche roles that these guys can fit into if the coaching staff can make it work and they can continue to improve their craft. Yeah, situational players, probably the best way to describe these two, John. In terms of the snap count, and it was not very high. As you mentioned, there were certain portions of the season where the guys got a few more snaps and that was a result of injury for example Carter Coughlin played against the Bucks. remember that was when he sacked Tom Brady uh, Cam Brown we saw some really strong performances I think on special teams and that's not surprising because he played 77% of the special team snaps remember it was Cam Brown that tripped up Alex Erickson against the Bengals on that punt return late in the game that 
probably save the game for the Giants because if he doesn't trip him up, maybe the Bengals get in field goal range or worse, maybe he returns it all the way for a touchdown. And remember, then Jabal Sheard is able to make the strip sack and that sealed the game for the Giants. But I probably was most encouraged by Cam Brown as a special teamer, somebody that you know got more and more comfortable in terms of getting guys down in open space. And I would agree with you. I think on defense, he's more of a guy where you want to give him the freedom to work maybe sideline to sideline as opposed to just say, hey, go after the quarterback because he does have that athleticism compared to Coughlin based on what he did at Minnesota. Soto, when his sack numbers were high, I think you could get him into becoming a situational pass rusher if the snaps and the opportunities call for it. But Coughlin only played 18% of the defensive snaps, and Cam Brown came in just under nine. So these guys didn't have a lot of work on defense, so it's hard to really get an idea after this year and say, hey, this is what this guy could do well. This is what he can't do well. I was more, once again, impressed with what Cam Brown did on special teams and I think he could be one of those key core guys for Thomas McGahee and Joe Judge as you're looking for one or two guys to say, hey, this is who we want to be on special teams. This is our identity. I think he fits under that umbrella and under that label. Yeah, he played 320 special team snaps, Cam Brown, on, all, on yeah. all the teams. Kick return, kick coverage, punt return, punt coverage, and field goal block. So he was a core special teamer, I agree. Coughlin was mostly active as a special teams player on kick return and kick coverage, but he also played um, 115 or so snaps, and Coughlin played nearly twice as many defensive snaps, 194 to Brown's 93. Now, ironically, Lance, the defensive player that played really the most in terms of the the guys up front in the draft class was the guy that was picked last in the draft, and that was Tay Crowder. Uh, He played the 12th most defensive snaps on the team this year. So he was very, very active. He basically established himself as the inside linebacker starter next to Blake Martinez. And that's a tough position to play as a rookie. He had some struggles here or there. I thought the Ravens game and his run fits versus Lamar Jackson uh, was not a great game for him. But I think you liked what you saw. Blake Martinez spoke very highly about him at the end of the year. And I think he's somebody you look ahead. If he continues to improve it again, you see big jumps from inside linebackers from their first to their second year. Maybe the Giants found themselves a starter here. Absolutely. I thought that Tay Crowder, for the 37% of the defensive snaps that he played, he made the most of it. I think what's unfortunate about Crowder, John, is the timing in which that calf injury occurred. Because remember, it came hamstring, right— Hamstring, I think. I think it, was it was a hamstring? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. I stand corrected. That's okay. It was the game in which he returned the fumble for a touchdown against Washington, and then all of a sudden he went on IR. I think that would have been a critical time for him to get more snaps. I agree. And just get more and more comfortable because the game you brought up, the Baltimore game, remember, that's when he's pretty much just coming off of IR. And it's one of the worst possible matchups to have because of all the (laughs) things you have to be concerned about coming out of the backfield for the Ravens. So the unfortunate part for Tate Crowder is the timing in which the injury came because I think those five games that he wound up missing, because I believe he came in with 11 games overall this season. Yeah, he was out between week 7 and 12. So those five games, you know, you get a lot of valuable snaps over the course of the five games. I wouldn't be surprised if he probably would come in around 50% of the defensive snaps, John, if he played those five games. Yeah, if not more, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I mean, 37%, no reason why he can't get a little over 50 when it's all said and done. And you feel a lot better about the volume of snaps, especially from the defensive defensive coaching standpoint to be able to you know monitor what he did and evaluate him so you know I was very surprised pleasantly surprised with what Crowder brought to the team because I don't think the expectations are very high for you know the very last pick of the draft the seventh rounder but I thought he capitalized and you know maybe we could get into this John I don't want to get too off topic but if you were to crown a rookie of the year out of the rookie class I think he deserves some strong consideration for it based on what he did this season I think he's in the mix I agree all right some undrafted guys we used to touch on Austin Mack Lance to me he could be a kind of a big possession receiver I thought he was a really good blocker as a wide receiver uh, I think that was a that was a good one uh, for him uh, Nico Lalos made a couple big plays end of the year. He's still kind of more of a core special teams player to me than a defensive player. And then Maje Harper, same deal. He was a very big factor on special teams. Got a few snaps on defense. But I think, you know, those two guys, specifically Harper and Lalos, are going to be more core special teamers. And I think Austin Mack will be back with the team next year, and he'll be competing 
uh, for a roster spot on, on, on the back end of that receiver core as a guy that can help in the blocking game, as a physical guy. They line them up all over the place in the slot, outside, in the backfield because of his physicality. So that's how I look at those three guys. Well, Nico Lelos, I think, is one of the guys that they love because of his work ethic and the variety of things that he could do. I mean, this was a player that I followed very closely in the Ivy League, and he was that lunch pail type of guy for Dartmouth where they pretty much asked him to do a little bit of everything, and he was probably the heart and soul of that team. So I'm not surprised that when the Giants called on him this year, he came through with an opportunistic play or a hustle play. You need a guy like that, John, on the team. So he's going to be one of those players that, assuming he stays healthy and the work ethic stays at a consistent level, you could use him on special teams. You give him a few snaps on defense, and he's going to be a great practice guy because of that intensity that he brings. So that's what a guy like Nico Lelos brings to the Giants. As far as Austin Mack is concerned, I bet you Mack, at the end of this season, when he looks back, he's probably going to be a little bit frustrated and saying to himself that because of the injuries at wide receiver— that maybe he wishes he was able to take a little bit more advantage of those snaps. And I'm not saying that he didn't make plays, but I think there were a few drops that he had which he would like to get back That's fair. and maybe would be a little bit more encouraging for this coaching staff. But once again, you need depth at receiver. I would agree with you. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be very much back in the mix to try to solidify a roster spot, if not a practice squad spot, depending on who they go after in free agency. And, you know, this is a guy from a prominent program in Ohio State. We knew he could pretty much run the entire route tree. I think he showed some flashes of that. But, you know, like any other young undrafted rookie wide receiver, you just want to see a little bit more consistency from a guy like that. Yeah, he just lacks that high-end speed that you're looking for from the wide receiver spot. Two other guys, Lance, that didn't play a lot, which is why I didn't bring up early. T.J. Brunson was only active for a couple games, played a little bit of special teams, a couple defensive snaps, and then Chris Williamson was let go. So uh, Williamson no longer with the organization, and Brunson somebody that they're trying uh, to work back into the mix next year. But frankly, Tay Crowder beat him out, really, and I think that was kind of the competition, right? Hard to have both those guys active because they both kind of play the same spot inside linebacker, and that's kind of how that went. Big Well, Go ahead, just Lance, I'm to sorry. quickly add mm-hmm. on to what you're talking about, John, and not so much on T.J. Brunson, if you would have told me, and we've had this conversation a lot, I know there are a number of callers that come up and they say, you know, well, you want the high volume of picks, right? Because then you could bring in more individuals. And my response is, well, wait a minute. What's the chances of all these guys making the roster? You have to be practical. That's why if you want to package a few picks to move up, it makes sense. With that being said, the seventh round picks this year for the Giants, Carter Coughlin, TJ Brunson, Chris Williams, and Tay Crowder, all four of them made the team between the practice squad and the active roster. But if you were to tell me that Coughlin and Crowder were going to have that type of an impact just in terms of playing time, I would have been probably very surprised in hearing that from anybody. And, you know, Brunson didn't play as much, but he was on the roster. So, you know, when you look at that, and Williamson, you mentioned, was let go after starting off with the team. To get that out of four seventh-round picks, that was quite impressive because more often than not, teams you look at their seventh-round picks, it's flyers, it's guys. Maybe you give them an opportunity on the practice squad and you see what comes to fruition. For half of them to actually be in the mix this season, yeah. you know that says an awful lot about the development and what the coaching staff was able to do. No question about it. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Introducing Money Dots, a new game for the New York Lottery where you play for your chance to win money on the dot. Please play responsibly. All right, let's go to the phones at 973-667-1960. Dan in the Poconos has been holding patiently. Dan, what's going on, pal? Hey, John and Lance. How are you guys doing? We're great. Today? How are you? Good, right. good. Good to talk to you guys. Sorry to be a little negative on your first call, um, but I'll be quick. That's okay. Uh, Whatever you got. Yeah, I just, just you know, it's just a frustration thing, and I promise I'm not going to call up and vent about uh, Ingram anymore after today. This is it for me. <laughs> All right, I did you have the, the floor, season. sir. Go ahead. You have the floor. See, okay, so let's talk about our pro bowler, Evan Ingram. I know, and it was, I think, refreshing when I thought he was making more money, but Lance explained it on yesterday's show that he's down to, I think it was six, about $6 million and Just over you know, six, something. yeah. And I was uh, thinking, okay, at least it's not even more than that. But to tell you the truth, I would rather have I would rather have any anybody any, and I don't care about his numbers. It's just because of what he does, you know, the ball bouncing off his face mask. Um, I think I got a perfect. You know how when a quarterback gets hurt and then the backup's got to jump up quick and get ready. 
I think Ingram might be suited good for that as far as, you know, catching the ball as the, the backup's warming up, you know, and anything. He might even miss a few of them, so we might have to have a coach laying around. Because I think that's about all that guy is good for. I mean, I, I, a I, I, I you know. I, I know. I know. I'm a little terrible. strong. I, I, I apologize, man. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm a nice At least guy. You know it. I feel bad about saying it, but, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder and. God, God willing, I'll be in there next year again, cheering for my team, and uh, I won't have too many good cheers going for Mr. Ingram. So, anyway, I know you got a lot of better stuff on their plate than I have, so I'll let you hit hit that. And I just wanted to make my frustrations heard about Mr. Ingram. That's about it, buddy. No, no problem, Dan. We appreciate the call. And look, his talent, Lance, I think almost works against him because fans know he can be really good and be better. And when he's not, and he's inconsistent and makes those, frankly, mistakes that always seem to turn into big plays that help them lose games. I mean, he has the worst luck with that sort of stuff. I mean, it's easy for the ball to bounce off his face or hands and fall incomplete, right? But they always seem to turn into interceptions when it happens to Evan Ingram. All right? He doesn't have a drop in the first quarter, you know, on a second and 10 or something like that. No, he has to have a drop on a third down at the end of the game that can clinch a win against the Eagles. And I, I understand why it's so frustrating for fans. I do. But I do think you have to realize that he still does things and can do things that other tight ends can't. And obviously, you build all that into the cost and how much you want to pay him and what his value is and all that stuff. But to me, there's still enough there where unless you have a, a better person just waiting for it at a good value, which I think will be tough to do in this environment— I just don't think you can just wave the white flag and give up. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I've been emphasizing, John. I I think that there is upside there and youth and good value from a financial standpoint, if you want to combine all three of those factors, that I just don't understand the argument to get rid of somebody for the sake of getting rid of somebody. Okay, if we're talking about handing him a five-year extension or whatever it may be, that's a different story. But that's not anything that's right now come to fruition. So for a guy that's still on a rookie contract, when you know he is a matchup issue for the opposition, and I listen to a lot of what the opposing teams say leading up to games, okay? Because I find that extremely interesting. I always like to look at the lens from the opposite side. And one of the first players that opposing coaches and players and coordinators bring up is having to deal with Evan Ingram. So, you know, this goes back to, and I'm not faulting the fans. I get it. They're passionate. But you got to also look at it from how a football coach views Evan Ingram. And the way a football coach views him is they're not thinking about that Evan could have a drop or two in the game, John. They're thinking about if we don't have the right matchup on Evan and he gets into a position where he can go down the field vertically, we're going to be in trouble. Exactly. Okay? That's what they're thinking about. While the fans are getting caught up in, oh, I remember this with three minutes left in the first half and it went off of his fingers and it got caught up in an interception. I get that. I understand. Those are the plays that jump out. But from a pure X's and O's standpoint, the way the league views Evan Ingram is not by getting caught up on the few frustrating plays. They're getting caught up on the athleticism and the skill set. And that alone is enough to warrant keeping a player who specifically is on a rookie contract. Yeah, he can bend the defense, right? He's somebody that other teams have to account for. While, you know, if if, let's say just, and this is not trying to take shots at Caden Smith. By the way, I watched a lot of Caden Smith tape this week on on one plays. He was a spectacular run blocker this year. So this is by no means taking a shot at Caden. I think he's a real valuable part of the team. He's a really good player. But if you're looking at the Giants on tape and you see Caden Smith as a starting tight end instead of Evan Ingram, you're going to game plan against that position much differently, which I think is your point. 100%. To a T. And I've heard from a lot of people, well, you know, Caden Smith should get more snaps, and Caden Smith should do this, and look at what Caden Smith did against Washington. And I get that, and I agree with you. John, I like Caden Smith, but here's the other thing. Don't you feel better about having Caden Smith and Evan Ingram that you could put out there as opposed to just Caden Smith without Evan Ingram? That I don't understand. I don't understand that logic. And don't tell me, well, you know, you'll have Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo. So you're going to tell me that opposing defenses are looking at the combination of Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo the same way as Caden Smith and Evan Ingram? Or better yet, if you remove Levine Toilolo because he wasn't on a lengthy contract, you remove Evan Ingram and you give some of the fans what they're calling for, what are you going to do? You're just going to have Caden Smith on your depth chart? John, you still need somebody else 
to provide depth and an option, and that's going to potentially cost money. Because don't tell me, well, you've been monitoring the draft class and you know that this guy's going to be there at 11. Maybe the Giants have no interest taking a tight end at 11. Maybe they're eyeing a guy that they could take later on in the round, and maybe he's more raw and he's not going to come in year one and make a significant impact. The bottom line is, John, whenever you have plan A, which is to get rid of a player, specifically somebody on a rookie contract, which I can't emphasize enough, then you've got to tell me what plan B is, and don't tell me plan B is not going to cost you nothing because you're going to have to bring in a player that's going to eat up cap space, and then that's going to hurt your chances of retaining another player in another position. It's a domino effect. It doesn't work where you remove one player, you magically snap your fingers, and you fill the void. Right, and that doesn't mean that maybe a, a trade might come along with the Giants say, all right, well, maybe we don't want to give him that extension like you talked about, but we can get value for him before his contract is up, then maybe something like that would make sense, right? But I think what most fans are talking about is just kind of dumping him, which is different. So those are all the things that the Giants will take in consideration. But look, bottom line, folks, he's on the contract. He's on his fifth-year option. To Lance's point, it's, it's a reasonable amount of money based on what's on the internet in terms of what it's going to be. So... That's kind of how you have to look at it. 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. John Schmelk, Lance Meta with you on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Giant fans, get a near Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at investorsbank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC. All right. Remember, folks, we only have one line. So there will be no screener. If you hear us, that means you're the caller I'm going to, and I'm going to ask you this question. Caller, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, it's Scott from New Mexico. Hey, Scott, what's up? Uh, a couple of questions. I, I wish this talk with Evan Ingram would just stop. He's a very talented player. He had a really bad season. Well, Scott, I would brace yourself because I have a funny feeling this is going to be a common refrain throughout the offseason until well, something happens one way or the other. So I, I, I would just to... mentally prepare yourself for that, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask you a question in regards to this, or actually in regards to how the offense operates. I actually have one for offense and one for defense. Sure. The offensive question uh, that I have, if you watch the Baltimore game, uh, they had a 300-pound tight end yeah, combination. Yeah, Patrick Ricard, the fullback yeah. you talking yeah, about? Yeah, the fullback. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and he was sensational uh, yeah. watching that game. He's a good player. Can, can the Giants adopt uh, either through the draft or through uh, another set of sequences to get a player who, had, who was multitasked that might help Evan Ingram? It might be another tight end. There's a, this kid from Penn State. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name, Faramos, uh, who's 260 pounds. I'm not familiar of, with him, Scott. I haven't done yeah, much draft stuff of, yet. Mm -hmm. considered one of the best tight ends coming out in the draft this year. And he runs great routes. If you got either a Picard type or another bigger tight end, somebody who's 260 pounds, and can run and run patterns. Does that help the <laughs> offense or make Evan Ingram even more important well, because then he becomes a more important weapon because you have another person you have to guard? Sort of like the Gronkowski Hernandez scenario. Well, that yeah, I mean, Scott, here's the problem you're, you're, you're citing a bunch of athletic freaks at a position that just don't come along very often. Right. It, it's easy to find a 240 pound guy that can run around and catch the ball, but it, there aren't many 270 pound George Kittle types. That right. can block, do all that, and catch passes. I mean, Ricard's three hundred and five pounds and is very right. mobile. I mean, those guys, those guys don't grow on trees. Would I like one of the okay. Giants? Absolutely. But I mean, it's not like you know most of the three hundred pounders that walk in can barely move because they're offensive linemen. So, I guess the answer to your question is yes. But finding those guys is just really hard because they're physical freaks. Well, Scott, okay. what I'll add to that is I don't know if you're familiar with Patrick Ricard's background, but he was a defensive lineman. lineman they converted him to the right, offensive yeah. side of the ball when they had several injuries, including tight end Nick Boyle, who they lost, and he made a tremendous transition. So, I mean, that speaks volumes of the player and his ability to take on a role on the complete opposite side of the ball. He even has admitted in the last few weeks he's still learning how to be an offensive player. I mean, you can only imagine what he's going through and what he's been able to do. I mean, he was catching pass after pass against Tennessee. I don't know if you saw that game in the wild card round this weekend. But to get back to your question, and it's an interesting question, Scott, but I'll go back to just from what we're hearing from fans on this show. If the frustration is about Evan dropping passes or not catching it and it deflecting off his hands and leading to an interception— you could bring in King Kong, Scott, okay, 
and have him play next to Evan Ingram. That's a good point. I don't see how King Kong is going to help Evan catch the ball better. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it still right. falls on the individual player executing, no matter what other tight end and no matter what other personnel you put out there. The Giants, if you remember in the Seattle game, they were running three tight end formations. They were able to run the ball effectively, so people weren't talking about, oh, Evan struggles at the line of scrimmage. But I don't understand how putting another tight end on the field is making Evan catch the ball better. Well, well I think one of the problems, Lance, that I notice, uh, when you think of tight ends, you think of what, who John just mentioned, George Kittle or Kelsey or Hooper or whoa, whoa, Waller, whoa, 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 or... Just for a second, Scott, Travis Kelsey doesn't block anybody. So just FYI, that dude is basically Evan Ingram. <laughs> just FYI, he doesn't block a soul, Travis Kelsey. Well, he's a much better Evan Ingram. I will, I well, will no, that, that. No, well that, that's fine, but my point is that he doesn't block anybody. He's basically a okay. receiver, just FYI. But some of the other guys, Jared Brown is, is a decent blocker for New Orleans. Uh, Waller is oh, a Jared decent Cook, blocker. Yeah. Uh, now Waller, no, 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 dude, Waller doesn't block either. That dude's like 235 pounds. He's a tremendous receiver, don't get me wrong, but he's not blocking anybody either. Well, I've seen him on some games doing exactly what you say he doesn't do, but, uh, but, in, well, in dude, event, well, but, well, but Scott, by the way, Evan Ingram blocks well too on plays. Yeah, I think he's not a bad blocker, so right. I think, but I think the compare why Giant fans would get crazy is basically they're trying to compare him to all these great tight ends, and every team has one. All the teams that are going to the playoffs or in the playoffs have a great tight end. No, that's not true, though, either. I mean, would, would I rather well, have Jared Cook or Evan Ingram? I, Evan Ingram's a better player than Jared Cook. Well, Cook's fine, I, I, but he, he can't do whatever does. The way I think the mentality is, I think that's the way people think. I'm well, not I saying think people you're, are you're wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't think people are looking at rosters that carefully, because here's the other thing. What about Tennessee? Does Tennessee have what, Tennessee has a Smith? cluster of tight ends? Christian right. Ferkser, right? Yeah, I mean, do they have on. a guy that you're like, oh, my God, sign me up for him? They're an effective offense. They were one of the best red zone offenses in the NFL this year. But right. do they have a tight end, Scott, that you're dying to grab off of their roster? How about the Bills? They Buffalo's got, another one. They're fine. Good, fundamentally yeah. sound guys, John. You're right. Buffalo's a very good example, but not necessarily a wow-me guy. But Dawson Knox, right. very good tight end. But is he a right. guy that people are knocking down doors to grab right now? So right. I'm, I'm just, I don't I'm necessarily just think that you need a big a, name. another good tight end might help that offense to move quickly. But I I, I want to give some callers another uh, shot. So let me sure. get to my defensive question. Sure. Uh, my defensive question is this: the salary cap I I'm going to estimate is somewhere going to be between 180 or 185 million. Based that on could be lower than that, actually, Scott. Could, could be come lower in than the 175. Range. I think 175 is the low end, Scott. And it would if it's over 190, I'd be really surprised based on everything we're hearing. So I think somewhere in that 175 to 190 range. But I mean, I think between 175 and 185 okay. is probably where we're going to land. All right. So my question is this. Obviously, the two major issues right now is the signing of Tomlinson and Williams. If Lorenzo Carter comes back and O'Shane Zimenez comes back, I know the Giants are looking for a wide receiver. I'd love them to see if they have a possibility to get Julio Jones. Uh, I know he's unhappy in Atlanta, even though he's 32 and came off the hamstring. Well, Scott, I talked about this the other day. If they trade Julio, that's almost an immediate Fifteen million dollar dead money really? cap hit for okay. Atlanta. It will be that mm-hmm. much. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question on the defensive side: If those two players come back, can they provide the edge rushing that the Giants will need so they can put their monies towards more offensive techniques and potentially lose Leonard Williams? Because I would like to keep Dalvin Tomlinson if possible. And I'll take the question off the air, guys. Thanks no, thank again. you, Scott. Good call. Appreciate right, Scott. it. I mean, if you bring back Kyler Fackrell and those are your three guys, Lance, is, or do you feel adequate at the position? I guess. Do you feel good about having a consistent guy that can win off the edge? I think my answer to that is no. Yeah, I mean, you look at the fact that the Giants got 40 sacks this year, which is a very nice number, but Leonard Williams also had a three-sack game late in the season to help them push towards that number. All things need context and perspective. I think if you're the Giants, you'd like a little bit more leeway and wiggle room to maybe go after somebody or perhaps draft somebody. But, you know, even if you draft somebody, there's no guarantees that come with that, that the guy's going to enter year number one and go off. 
I think if you're Patrick Graham and you bring back pretty much the bulk of your pass rushing unit from last year, his philosophy, John, is still going to be, it's going to be piecemeal. I mean, if we're going to get to 40 sacks again, we're not going to necessarily bank on having one guy get half of them. It's going to be Mm -hmm. a little bit of everything. You're going to have to sprinkle it in. So can he scheme accordingly to get that? Absolutely. I don't think that that's asking for much, but I think like anything else in a given season, you want to feel good that, you got one guy that you can hang your hat on that is more than capable of getting a double-digit sack season. And I get it. I know Leonard Williams finished with 11 and a half. I'm not saying that he's not capable of doing that. But, John, if we're talking about the rookies and we're saying, you know, we saw flashes of this, we saw flashes of that, can you go into next season? Can you pencil in at this point in Leonard Williams' career? Are you going with starting with 10 sacks that no, you're definitely you going to get 10 out of him? You can't. Okay. So, and I agree with you. So if you can't go into next season – penciling in Leonard Williams for 10, then I think the mindset has to be we need a little bit more substance and help at that position. I'm with you. I think you still try to add and, and improve yeah. there as a guy that maybe can just be a little bit more consistent getting to the quarterback that other teams have to have to pay attention to and have to, to some extent, game plan for. 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Let's go back to the phones. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, John and Lance. This is Peter, Florida Keys. Hey, Pete. What's doing? up, man? Hey, Peter. Uh, a couple quick things. Uh, for one, I've, I've been trying to listen to the uh, podcast, and for some reason, it's not coming in. So I don't know if that's I don't know if anybody uh, conveyed that over to you, but how are you trying to listen? Over, uh, through the app. Oh, so okay. Oh, 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 so 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 it's not streaming on the app right now. Well, it wasn't. Well, I'm in the lovely Florida Keys. <laughs> A lot of stuff breaks down here, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> But, I will uh, check it out, Peter. I appreciate it. I, I, I see it up there right now, so I think it's working, but I will I will look into it. Okay. Because it logs in, but then it's, there's no audio, so I'm not sure why. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm not. Maybe it's just user error with my phone or whatnot. Okay, no worries. But, uh, um, I guess I wanted to talk to you guys real quick. I'm actually driving back from a job site, and I'm like, shoot, let me listen to the show. But while I was listening to your audio from the actual live feed, uh, something that popped up in my head was, I know a lot of fans want a wide receiver one. I'm not really in that boat. And this is the reason why. I would prefer to spend our dollars on keeping the defense intact, specifically the defensive line. But instead of investing in free agency in a wide receiver one, and I know you could go in the draft, but, you know, look at Jerry Judy last year. Everybody was expecting him, you know, Amazing, amazing wide receiver. You know, it took him to the end of the year to really show something, and that's even, you know, not 100% that now, he's in, really going to be a future guy. True. In fairness, he did have 60 catches for 850 yards with a bad quarterback. So he didn't have a bad I, year. I okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. So I guess what, what I'm saying is instead of going and spending $18, $19 million for A Rob or you know, one of these high-end wide receiver ones, what I would prefer to do is to invest in upgrading the offensive line. I honestly believe if we can, you know, and I, I loved your show yesterday with uh, Beagle with respect to Gates and Andrew Thomas as they're pretty much, I, I'm thinking you could just write them in as starters, and I'm feeling really, really good about it. I honestly think that you have to re-sign uh, Zeigler. And I really feel that, you know, instead of spending money on a wide receiver one, I think you need to get a guard. You know, we gave up 50 sacks last year. And guess what? If you could drop that to 30 or 40 by getting a cohesive unit that plays a lot better. And granted, I feel like it was better um, than the year before. But I honestly think that you should, that we should um, invest more resources in the offensive line. And maybe that's an outlier. Maybe I don't think like everybody else, all the other fans, but that's just my two cents, and I'd love to hear your comments and thoughts on that. No, P.P., I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for the call, man. Good stuff. I will I will leave you up so you could hear our answer. I know you said you couldn't get the live stream. Um, 
I want to hear, and this is kind of the trick, Lance, and this is the point I brought up with Fiegel. This is the trick, right? You want to give these young guys a chance to win their jobs and earn a spot. So that means not committing big money long-term to other guys because you don't want to bury these guys that you drafted that you like, right? But at the same time, you're not quite sure how ready they are to take over. So I think that's an interesting balancing act to have. Like, if the Giants pick 10 and they love an offensive tackle there, I'm not going to tell them not to take them. But you got to understand, if you're taking a big-time offensive tackle at 10, that means Matt Parrott's not going to start for you for a long time, right? Because you can't start three offensive tackles, and Parrott's not a guy that's going to move into guard. So that, I think, is, is where you run into a situation where you're like, all right, well, how exactly do you handle this? And I don't know if you have to spend big money on a guard. Can't you find a guard in, in round two or three that you should be able to plug in right away? And frankly, to his point, I think you could find a wide receiver on day two or three. Look at all these day two wide receivers that played great this year, whether it's Brandon Ayuk or LaVisca Chenault or T. Higgins. I mean, Lance, you could find guards and wide receivers without having to either go to the top of the free agent market or using your first round pick on them. Yeah, I don't see why you can't use some of the second-round selections and say to yourself, hey, there's no reason why these guys can't come in year one and be guys that could come in and produce and not necessarily have to be that raw talent that you're just throwing up against the wall and hoping something sticks. The other thing that I wanted to clarify with respect to Kevin Zeitler, I know we were talking about him earlier. Remember, he's under contract for 2021. The reason why we're talking about well, maybe he's not here is he is entering the final year of his contract because of the money and the cap going down. You know, teams tend to think, okay, maybe it's time to part ways with the player. That's why we're talking about him in that light. But the Giants don't have to do anything with Kevin Zeidler. He's on the books. So, you know, you don't have to worry about him not returning considering he is under contract. They don't have to change anything. They don't have to tweak anything. It's just a matter of with what Shane Lemieux showed and Will Hernandez, of course, still being on a rookie contract, does that give you the confidence that you can part ways with a proven veteran? My answer at this point is no. So I would do everything in my power to make sure you retain the services of Zeidler and you don't part ways with him because you're worried about the cap space and what you have to address on the defensive side of the ball. I also think, though, considering where you drafted Matt Pert, to your point, John, if you were to bring in another tackle then how does that impact the development of Matt Paird? Because if they bring back Cam Fleming or if Nate Solder returns and he's the other starting tackle, I still find ways to rotate Matt Paird in next season as a rotational guy. 100%. Just like they did this season, right? So if you then bring in another young tackle, okay, and let's say you bring back Nate Solder, I don't know, maybe they part ways with Nate Solder. Well, yeah, you're going to still rotate Matt Parrott, but now it's almost like he takes a seat behind the newcomer. And you just wonder, well, those resources that you put into Matt Parrott, are you now maximizing it? So I think you got to be careful with respect to that. I would say if there's room for maybe developing somebody else that's younger, I would say it would come more at the guard position than at the tackle position, just based on what I see in terms of the makeup of this roster right now. Yeah, and by the way, I think that's the point Pete was making. So whether it's Zeitler, and we said this at the start of the show, right, whether it's Zeitler or somebody else, you want to have a veteran guard in there to compete with these two guys, and maybe you're bringing two veterans too, and you say, all right, well, Lemieux and Hernandez, we're not going to guarantee even one starting spot to one of you guys. We're going to make you earn it here. And, you know, this staff is big on competition. One of the point lines I want to bring up, too, and we'll get back to your calls in a second, by the way, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented to you by the New York Lottery, presenting Money Dots from the New York Lottery. Um, no, that is not Paul Dettino's money you're going to win. It's the New York <laughs> Lottery's money that you are going to win. It's a new game from the New York Lottery where you play for your chance to win money. On the dot, please play responsibly. You know, people talk about these wide receivers in free agency, Lance. You know, a lot of these guys could get franchise tagged. You know, Chris Godwin could get the franchise tag. Allen Robinson could get the franchise tag. Right now, the Lions don't have any wide receivers under contract. Both Marvin Jones and Kenny Kenny Galladay are free agents. He could get franchise tagged. Now, Will Fuller, maybe not. Juju Smith-Schuster with Claypool and Deontay Johnson there, probably not. Corey Davis, probably not since they have um, Brown there from last year. So, you know, there will be guys available, but those top guys that people are thinking about, they might not even become easily available if these teams decide to use their franchise tags. Well, that's another reason why I think people tend to get ahead of themselves with free agency, to your point, because sometimes the top guys are not even 
at the point where they can reach free agency. Now, we brought this up on a previous show. The one thing, though, that is going to be very interesting, if the cap goes down, which we're all figuring it will, franchise tags are based on the previous year, the top five salaries. So that has no indication of going down because of the salary cap, which means can teams afford to hand out the franchise tag if it's going to eat up a lot of cap percentage and you know you have to worry about retaining or re-signing other guys. That's going to be interesting to see if the volume of franchise tags is as high as previous off-seasons as a result of the cap going down. But yeah, Allen Robinson may not even have an opportunity to dip his toe into free agency and a few of the other guys you mentioned. But once again, based on what I've seen in the draft over the last few years, forget the 2020 NFL draft, I think that that's one of the positions which has had the best transition in year one from college to the pros. So there's no reason why if the Giants want to add a little bit more substance at that position, they can't do it with maybe a second-round pick. And I wouldn't be necessarily against using the 11th overall pick on a wide receiver if they feel that that player is going to be good. But I just think that if this class, this year's class, turns out to be what previous year's classes are, the chances of a wide receiver coming in in year one and doing something good for you is quite high. All you have to do is, once again, look over the last few drafts. The results, I think, have been extremely encouraging in that standpoint. And not just first-round picks. Yeah, to your point. absolutely. It's guys in the first two to three rounds. So there will be guys to be had. 973-667-1960. Back to the phones. Call. you're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys. Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. How you guys doing? You know, Lance, Lance told me before the show that he was hoping you would call in. Oh, absolutely, yes. It was on my wish list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I still I don't understand how he gets through, but that's a whole other I, thing. Yeah. I felt your vibe, Lance, and I called. How's that? Hey, well, I your don't vibes understand. are off, but that's good to hear. <laughs> I don't understand why fans are trying to get rid of the only Pro Bowl guy we've got on our team. I don't get it. You know, he's the only Pro Bowler. Why do you want to get rid of the guy? You know? Well, first of all, he isn't the only Pro Bowler, but yes. On our team, he is this year. Well, this year, yes, but I would consider Leonard Williams a Pro Bowl caliber player. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, that's right. Brad, yeah, yeah Brad, Bradbury, Bradbury made, the Pro made Bowl yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bradbury made. Yeah, that's it. See, right. Charlie has me second guessing myself. Yeah, I was going. That's who I thought you were going to do that. Well, I was going to, <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a second, maybe I'm remembering wrong. I hate you, Charlie. You're the worst. <laughs> I guess I met on offense. Okay, he's the only Pro Bowler on offense. That's for sure. But anyway, and, and you were talking, Lance, you were saying how incredible it is that seventh-round picks have, you know, worked out and played. You know, maybe it's because our roster is really bad, and that's why seventh-round picks can even stay on our roster because we don't have a great roster. And a 6-10 and ten record probably tells you maybe that's a little bit accurate. Well, Charlie, I think we find out next year, right? If the Giants actively look to replace these guys and these guys can't earn roles next year, then we have an idea, all right, maybe you were right. But if these guys do continue to earn roles and the team gets better, then we'll see that's not the case. Well, and I don't look at it so much as the nature of the roster. I look at more of the coaching staff giving those guys opportunities, which I don't think has happened consistently in years past. You have to get these players chances on the field to see what they're capable of doing. So that, to me, stood out as opposed to them getting on the field simply because of the caliber of the roster. At every position, they pretty much went deep into the roster and on the practice squad. So I don't think it was necessarily, oh, well, we're just going to focus on the linebackers and the defensive pass rushers when you could point to a variety of other spots. They did the same thing. Yeah, and we had a lot of injuries, too, and I think they probably wouldn't have played as much, especially Coughlin in uh, Cam Brown. Brown. For sure. No, you're right about that. Well, I mean, remember, we read the numbers. They didn't play that much on defense anyway, even with the injuries. They were mainly, I mean, especially Cam Brown, he was mainly a special teamer. And the other thing you were saying, Lance, that that I just felt like you were saying, well, even if you put King Kong on the other side of Ingram, but the thing is, if you get a King Kong who is your tight end blocker and you lessen the amount of times that, that, um, Ingram has to block, and he becomes more of your Kelsey, more of that type of tight end where he doesn't have that responsibility. He can totally focus on catching the ball. Charlie, here's the problem, though. He had more targets than anybody on the team. He had over 100 targets this year. He's getting looks, but the frustration, and I thought Lance crystallized this perfectly earlier, He's not making catches. What, you think, well, I didn't have to block two plays ago, so I'm definitely going to catch that ball now. I mean, I don't think one has anything to do with the other. 
One hundred percent. Well, to to me, if if say my weakest thing is blocking. You know that, or, or I'm at work, and something's my weakest part. And by the way, he has really in, he has really improved as a blocker too. By the way, I know fans don't like to hear that, but it's true. You watch oh, the yeah. tape; he is a much, much, much better blocker than he was when he got here. Is he ever going to be, you know, Le, you know, Levine Toy Lolo at the point of attack? No, that's fine though. He he does the backside stuff. He will walls people's off. He's fine. Now you don't want him blocking like there was a play against the Browns where he tried to block Olivier Vernon one on one, and Olivier Vernon basically you know, deposited him off to the side. Actually, no, it wasn't the Browns game. I think that was actually the Bears game, maybe. And he tried to block Cleo Mack, and Cleo Mack was like, no, just get out of my way, little man. And he moved him aside, and he made the tackle. You don't want him doing that, but he can do that other stuff. All right. Right, well, I guess I guess my feeling is, look, the big gripe of Ingram was, one, he couldn't stay on the field. Well, this year he stayed for 16 yeah, that's a good games. point. He give him some credit, and the reason why he got the Pro Bowl is because he played 16 games, and so that's his first step. So his next step is to cut down. If he can just cut down half of his drop, yeah, come, you know, come down to five, you know, that's good enough, you know, and maybe that will happen next year. So I don't want to get rid of on, especially on our offense. We only got so many playmakers. Hopefully, we'll get more. But all we got is Barkley and him. That's it. We don't have anybody else. Charlie so. and Lance in full agreement. I love it. Welcome to 2021. <laughs> well, we're close on agreement. I still don't love his argument. All right, let's not pat him on the back too much, John. The, the, the argument that you, blocking Charlie. is distracting him from catching the football, I completely disagree with no, that I on do many too. different fronts. But, yes, I agree with the point of there is still upside and there's a reason to have him on the roster. There's no doubt about it because of what he brings to the table and the fact that, yeah, the goal was to stay healthy this season. And that's something we haven't talked about, John. And you can't overlook the fact that he was able to stay on the field. So, you know, that's the big part of being a productive player, your availability. Now it's a matter of cleaning up some of the mishaps. Okay, but you know what? The goal that a lot of Giants fans, I'm sure, had a year or two ago was, is this going to be the season where Evan Ingram sees double-digit games? Well, he answered that call. Now it's a matter of honing the craft while you're on the field. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely, you got it. Big Blue Kickoff Live was presented by the New York Lottery. Introducing Money Dots, a new game from the New York Lottery, where you play for your chance to win money on the dot. Please play responsibly. And, of course, Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite podcast platforms. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Tomorrow, it's Fiegels and Dottino with you on Big Blue Kickoff. Then we get to the three-man booth on Friday with Lance, Dottino, and I. We are off on Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, by the way. So put that in your back pocket as you move ahead. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Stay safe.